Good morning, church. It is an honor and privilege to be here today. Thank uh, Pastor Rue for giving me the invitation. I think of the words of Jeremiah. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I've been with the State Patrol for 16 years. In 16 years, I've had the privilege of teaching sporadically, not as a primary role, but in some limited duties. And I can tell you that nothing compares to heralding the Word of God. It's an incredible privilege. It's a weighty honor, and it's also quite terrifying. As Christians, as born-again believers, this is our highest authority. Within this book contains the words that lead to life, and death. So I am thankful for the opportunity, eager to share, and Lord willing, you will be blessed. In my 16 years with the State Patrol, I've seen a lot. I've been to uh, many, many calls assisting county agencies, county sheriff's departments. I've been assisting police agencies. I've been to numerous calls of my own, many traffic accidents. And in 16 years of working in law enforcement, you see a lot of dead people. A lot of dead people. People die all the time, all around us. Old people, young people, people seemingly in the prime of their health, people in poor health, people doing ordinary things, you know, running tasks, running to the store to get some groceries, going to work, coming to work, coming home from an evening with friends, and all of a sudden, their life ends. None of them knew it was going to be their last moment, and all of a sudden they died. But the one thing I know is that when every single one of those individuals breathed their last breath, their lives just began. We're not made for this life. James says that we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Imagine a Minnesota morning. You exhale, your breath appears, and then it's gone. And that's our life, and then life begins. And you and I know that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And for some people, when they breathe their last breath here, it's the most glorious moment they've ever experienced. And for many others, in fact, I would say the majority, it's the most terrifying moment as they experience the wrath of God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Most people are perishing around us, and they're perishing eternally under the wrath of God. Today we're going to talk about the most important reality for you and for me and for all of humankind. We need to enter by the narrow gate and we need to usher many into the narrow gate. Open your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 1. Beginning in verse 15, Paul says the following to 
to this church. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There's many believers in this church. He hasn't met these. He hasn't been to this particular church yet, but he loves them. He prays for them, and he is eager to get there to proclaim the news of salvation. And now to our text for the day, 16 and 17. Paul says the following. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, what a privilege it is to be given your word. What a privilege it is that you have made yourself known to us. What a privilege it is that we are not left to wallow under the wrath of God for all of our days. You've given us a way, Father. You've laid before us the narrow gate. You tell us in your word how to enter it. Father, help me to handle your word aright today. And Father, help your people. Bless, bless these precious souls that are before me, that are yours, who you love dearly, Father. Father, open their minds, open their hearts to comprehend your word, to delight in your word. Give them eyes to see. Father, do this we pray. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. When I first settled on this text, I was eager to talk to you about not being ashamed of the gospel. In a, in a society where it's becoming increasingly secularized, and where there's more and more and more pressure on you and me to be ashamed of the gospel, that was my intention in many ways, to highlight that. And I love in this passage how he talks about the power of God. What is the power of God for salvation? The glorious truth. But as I looked at this passage, the Holy Spirit, I believe, led me to focus on the gospel first and foremost. Before we know what the power of God is for salvation. And before we know what we ought not be ashamed of, we need to know the glorious truths of the gospel. So let's look at this passage. Paul again, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to read it often, and I'm going to hope, I hope that you look at your text, keep it open, keep your Bibles turned on, because you've got to see it in the text for yourself. If you don't see it in the text, don't believe it. Don't believe it because somebody stands before you. Believe it because you see it in God's Word. And once you see it, you're going to be a doer of God's Word. You don't look into the mirror and see what you look like and a blemish on your face and go away unchanged. No, you address that issue. And when you examine yourself in light of God's word and see who you are and your shortcomings, you don't go away unchanged. No, you go away and you implement what you learned in God's word. So I pray that all of us would be doers of God's word. Let us look at the text. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, 
as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. To understand the gospel, we've got to know what the righteousness of God is. Paul says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What is the righteousness of God? Theologian Wayne Grudem gives this definition. He says, God, God's righteousness is that God always acts in accordance to what is right. And he himself is the standard of what is right. So God always acts in accordance to what is right, and he's the standard of what is right. As the creator and sustainer of the universe, he determines what is right. A righteous act is doing what's right. A righteous act from you or from me is obedience to God's revealed character, to God's revealed will for us. That's a righteous act. But integral and essential component of God's righteousness is his justice. It's like the other half of the zipper. You can't zip up your jacket if you only have one half of it. You've got to have the other half. And God's righteousness includes his justice. And his justice means that every sin, it is only right that every sin be dealt with by the wrath of God. Every sin that you commit or I commit or every human being ever commits must be dealt with by the wrath of God. It would not be right for God not to do so. That is an essential trait of his righteousness. If somebody came to your house and is stealing your car and you try to stop them and they punch you in the face, steal your car and tear it off. And then later you recover the car after it's been rolled over in a cornfield in total. And you go before a judge and you say, judge, this man, this man, needs to be punished. And the judge examines all the facts, says, you know what, he, he expresses a little bit of remorse, not guilty. You would cry out the injustice of that. I still have a shiner on my face from being punched. I only have liability insurance on my car, and I'm on $5,000. My cell phone was in there with thousands of family photos. I can't recover them, they're gone, I don't have the phone. Everything in you would scream that's an injustice. Because God's character is implanted in each of your hearts. You know justice, you have an innate sense of right and wrong. So every sin must be dealt with by the wrath of God. Martin Luther recognized this. Martin Luther, a monk from the 1500s, he read this passage that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here's what Martin Luther said. He said the expression righteousness of God was like a thunderbolt in my heart. It was like a thunderbolt just hit him and knocked him to the ground like a puddle of jello. He was undone by that because he could never live up to that standard. You and I cannot live our perfect lives. If it's on us to obtain the righteousness of God, you'll never make it. Martin Luther was undone by this passage. The expression righteousness of God was like a thunderbolt in my heart. And then listen to what he says about the Apostle Paul. You don't hear words like this very often from a saint. He said, I hated Paul. I hated Paul with all my heart. 
when I read that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. He said, I hated Paul with all my heart when I read that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Verse 17, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Martin Luther despised Paul when he read that because Martin Luther saw the righteousness of God as this impenetrable wall. Keeping him from salvation. Keeping him from eternal life with God. It was a standard he could never live up to. Martin Luther lived in a monastery. He's hedged off from the world. He spends hours a day reading his Bible, memorizing, meditating upon it, fasting, praying. Attended Mass, taught Mass. His life is devoted to the service of God. And Martin Luther recognized, I am such a sinful man. I can never live up to the righteousness of God. It plunged Luther into the depths of despair and sorrow as he could never get across that wall, that impenetrable wall. So is the gospel merely a revelation of the knowledge of the righteousness of God, a standard in which we can attain? Imagine if it was. Imagine what sharing the gospel would look like. Suppose I have a co-worker named Steve, and I go up to Steve, I say, Hey, Steve, I saw you the other day. You're with your kids, and your kids were just being kids, a little tiny noise, and you blew up on them. I want you to know, Steve, that there's a God in the universe. He rules and reigns, and every sin that's ever committed will be dealt with by the wrath of God. And I want to let you know, Steve, you are under the wrath of God, and you are going to perish miserably in hell. It's grievous even to think if that were the whole of the gospel. Imagine if you and I had no hope. Most of you know the joy of salvation. And if that were the reality, I think we'd be like Luther. We'd be plunged into the depths of despair. But are there any cues in the text? Is there anything within the text that shows us it's got to be more than that? It's got to be more because if it's not more, this church should be empty next week. Why are you going to come here to just hear a preacher tell you that you're under the wrath of God? You're going to be punished eternally in hell. Like, go eat, drink, and be merry. For today you live and tomorrow you die. Maximize your pleasure here because you're going to live a miserable life later. If the gospel were merely a revelation of the knowledge of God's righteousness and no more, that should be each of your course in life. Go maximize your pleasure now. Today you live, tomorrow you die. But let's look at the text. Is there anything more to it than that? Look at verse 17 with me. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So faith is mentioned three times. And if, and if the gospel is a mere revelation of the knowledge of God, why do you need faith? Faith in Christ is not a mental assent. The fact that you affirm that, yes, I believe that God died. Jesus Christ came as a 
as a baby and lived the perfect life and died on the cross and was put in a tomb and rose on the third day, ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns. If you merely believe that fact, that's not faith. That doesn't save you. That's part of saving faith. You need to affirm those facts. That's not faith. There's no trust in that. What are you trusting in? So it requires faith. There's something more to it than a mere assent to knowledge. Let's look at the last part of 17. Habakkuk is quoted. Verse 2-4. Where it says, The righteous shall live by faith. That's what does Paul mean? The righteous shall live by faith. It can mean two things. It can mean once you're a Christian, you live by faith. Faith isn't a one-time act upon salvation. It's a continual act throughout your life. You act in faith. You trust the promises of God day in and day out. Paul can mean that. That's true for the believer. But is that what Paul means here? Or does he mean, by faith, you live? By faith, you go from a righteousness here, nowhere near God, this impassable chasm or impenetrable wall, and faith brings you here with equal righteousness with God. What does Paul mean here? We can turn to Habakkuk, which we're not going to. We're going to turn to Galatians 3.11. And we're going to turn to Galatians 3.11 because Paul quotes that exact same verse there. And we're going to be looking for, is Paul using this in a way to say this is faith for Christian living, or is this faith to obtain right standing with God? Galatians 3.11. Paul says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So according to the law, if you're a lawkeeper, no one's justified. No one's made right with God. Here we are, this impassable chasm, and we're down here, and you try to do your law-keeping down here, and you think you're going to bridge this chasm. Paul's saying, no, no, no one is justified by keeping the law. Not a single soul will be justified. You sit down here in labor and try to obey God's word to make yourself right with him, it'll never happen. It's like taking that stain in your white carpet, this little stain, and you go grab the Hershey's chocolate sauce and you think, I'm going to scrub that stain out with it. And you sit there and scrub and scrub and scrub. The stain just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how it is with us and God. If we labor by the law to obtain that righteousness, he deems that filthy rags. Suppose you stole $20 billion from Bill Gates. And now you come to Bill Gates and you say, hey, Bill, Bill, I'm sorry, I'm going to pay you back. And suppose you squandered all the money. You bought lottery tickets and went to the casino. $20 billion gone. You say, hey, Bill, hey, don't worry about it. Settle down. I'm going to start paying you off next week. I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to pick up the mail every day for you from your mailbox and bring it up to your house. I'm going to pay it off that way. Bill Gates would be insulted. Are you kidding me? $20 billion? You couldn't pay off $20,000 that way. That's how it is with us and God. The offense to God is so great and our unrighteousness so great that we sit there and labor. Hey, God, I'm going to get the mail for you. I'm going to go serve the poor. I'm going to do these things. 
And it's an insult to God. We don't understand how great our offense is in the eyes of God if we think we're going to pick up the mail for someone to obtain our righteousness. We can't do it. We can't do it. So looking at Galatians 3.11 here, where he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's by faith that we live. It's by faith that we bridge this chasm and obtain equal standing with God in his righteousness. We get the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not a subordinate righteousness. The very righteousness of God's own Son counted to us. It's an incredible, glorious truth. It's a bigger news story than if a meteor the size of the sun were bearing down on the earth. Every newspaper in the land would pick up that story. And that's a tiny story compared to the fact that we can be made right with the God of the universe by faith. Listen to what Martin Luther said when he read this passage. He discovered this very thing. And he said, here I felt. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Then he goes on to recount all these passages from memory and how this truth comes to bear upon it. And then he says, thus that place in Paul, referring to where it says the righteous shall live by faith, Thus that place in Paul was for me truly the gate to paradise. The righteous shall live by faith. For Martin Luther, that was the gate to paradise. And that is the gate to paradise for you and for me and every human being on this planet. The righteous shall live by faith. You want to be righteous? Quit laboring. Quit thinking you're so bad. You could never obtain right standing with God. Nobody can obtain right standing with God in their own strength. Nobody. Nobody. I don't care what you've done, how bad you are. The only way to obtain righteousness, the righteousness of God is by faith. The righteous shall live by faith is the gateway to paradise. No longer did Luther and no longer do we need to labor to obtain our righteousness. See, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And that is both the basis of our condemnation. As we realize we can never live up to God's standard. But it is also the wellspring of our salvation. As it holds out if we just but have faith in Jesus Christ. We get the righteousness of God. The most incredible news the world has ever known. Faith is not a mere mental assent. It's not affirming the facts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. It is trust. It is trusting in Christ. Think of a high diver and how much they trust water to break their fall. In the Olympics, they climb up to 33 feet, 10 meters, and they leap off of that thing and do all their acrobatics and slam into the water. And they trust the water to break their fall. If the water were a little bit harder, they'd smash their neck. If the water were thinner like air, 
They would plunge to the bottom of the pool and break every bone in their body. But they trust the water to act like water and break their fall. And we are to fully trust Christ, not partially. Hey, God, give me a little bit of your righteousness. I'm going to obtain the rest. We're to fully trust Christ. Like the high diver leaping into the water, we're to fully trust Christ to provide our righteousness. Faith is a complete opposite of self-reliance. It's a complete trust in Him, and that most glorifies Him. It showcases the majesty and beauty of our Savior when we trust in Him. So have you obtained the righteousness of God that you can have only by faith? Do you have it? If you're like me, 24 years of my life, I didn't have it. The first 24 years of my life, I went through the motions. I was raised Catholic. I went to Mass. I had communion. I was confirmed. I thought I was saved. I mentally ascended to all these realities. I affirmed that Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life. But I wasn't saved. I even went through a couple of years before conversion where I was an atheist. I denied the very existence of God. And by God's grace, He plucked me from that. I had faith. And when I first professed faith in Jesus Christ, my faith was so weak. So weak, I didn't even think it was real. I professed faith in Christ again, and I may have done it several times, but at least twice, just like, it just didn't feel real. And over time, as my faith strengthened and grew, there's not a sphere of my existence, there's not a nook or cranny in my body or soul that Christ hasn't touched. Maybe you're like me, who for years went through the motions. There's no shame in that. Maybe you've always thought you had faith and now recognize, you know what? I've never actually understood how sinful I am and how I can never do it in my strength. It must rely fully on Jesus Christ. And if that's you, today's the day. All it takes is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You profess faith in Him, you turn from your sins, and you submit to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you live in full service to Him. Pray that in your head this moment, and you are saved. And for the remainder who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, celebrate that. There's no greater news than that. We carry the greatest news the world has ever known. It's an abomination that it's not on the front page of newspapers every single day of our lives. Listen up, world. You can be saved if you but profess your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him and be saved. Why is that not on every newspaper across this land? It's for us to herald that incredible news. It's the high privilege that we have to carry that to the ends of the earth and be used by God to advance it. There are people perishing all around us, marching towards that wide gate to eternal destruction. We need to steer as many as we can off that path. I have people in my family that are unsaved. I have friends and co-workers, people all around who I know to be unsaved. 
I know I can be a better steward of what's been entrusted to me, and I pray that God would strengthen you and help you to do the same. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith that is obtained by faith for faith to live out your life in faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You have the keys to paradise. Savor those keys that have been entrusted to you. Delight in our incredibly glorious, wonderful Christ who has plucked you from the depths. So when you breathe your last breath, glory awaits you. Glory and share that news. Share that news because people are perishing all around us. Many are going here. Might you be used of God to help usher many of those into glory? And God help each of us to live our lives to the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your son, Father. Thank you that the righteous shall live by faith, that we are not left to obtain it ourselves, but grasp it by faith, your very righteousness. Father, we thank you for every soul in here. Bless each of them abundantly. Grow all of our delight in you and help us to share that delight with the world around us. Help us now, we pray. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more messages, find us online at www.emmanuelmora.com or on any podcast app. Visit our website for more information about our church or access more resources. Also, if you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission by giving financially. You can give a one-time gift or give recurring gifts at www.emmanuelmora.com or text the word GIFT to 320-313-1950.